and I'd like to turn it over to Rita now to share for 15 minutes on the nine tools of recovery. Thank you, Rita. Hey guys, my name is Rita and I am a recovering compulsive overeater. So I shall start. So the nine tools are, as we all know, a plan of eating, sponsorship, meetings, the telephone, writing, literature, an action plan, anonymity and service. And I personally, for myself, kind of do a lot of them subconsciously without thinking. And I want to talk now a bit about my progress through them, both in recovery and out of recovery. So I just want you to remember one simple thing about the tools. It is really easy to work the tools and not the steps, but it is absolutely impossible to work the steps without the tools. Just bear that in mind. Um, because until you do the steps rigor rigorously and honestly, you're just treading water. You're holding your breath. You know that moment before I've had a lot of scans because I've had cancer. So you, that moment when they ask you to hold your breath and you go, <gasps> that to me is the steps that, you know, and I can't let my breath out until I'm through them, at least four and five anyway for me. So if you can just remember back, the two books I'm going to talk about the most, well, actually the book I'm going to talk about the most is the Alcoholics Anonymous book. And I'm going to talk about the tools through this book. So in, in the big book, Bill said alcohol was my master. So that was the same as me for food. Food was everything. Bill talks, Bill W talks about liquor ceasing to be a luxury. It became a necessity. I didn't taste my food. I inhaled it. I, I you know, it was eaten before I even knew. It was eaten really fast. It was eaten really quickly. It was eaten over sinks. It was eaten. And I remember my first away meeting, people would talk about bins, eating out of bins. And I'd be thinking, Craigie, what's wrong with them? But you know why? My food never got to the bin. I had everything. I was told, I was brought up in Ireland from an early age, you know, don't waste your food. Don't. My mother used to stand over me going, don't you waste that now. There's children starving in Africa. And I used to think, well, you're not going to post it to them, are you? And I couldn't understand, but I'd eat and eat and eat. I was terrible. And um, then I just thought, so the plan of eating wasn't there. My plan of eating from an early age was complete grazing from dawn to dusk, from getting away as it was numbing my feelings. So I think the plan of eating brings structure. I'm going to say what each plan to me brings, and it definitely brings structure. It, what it actually says in a way is a plan of eating helps us abstain from compulsive eating. This tool helps us deal with the physical aspects of our disease and achieve physical recovery. So in the doctor's opinion, we hear about what our real problem is about food. We hear it about alcohol, but I'm going to say food, that it's a twofold illness. One, it's an allergy of the body. When I eat in certain, certain ways, I cannot reasonably predict what will happen. I may trigger a binge. I must stop eating my toxic and alcoholic foods. I can't put whiskey in the milk, so I can't have sugar. For me, I eat three meals a day and I don't snack. That is my plan of eating. That plan is photographed and sent to my sponsor. I have a list of things. I remember when I first gave up sugar and anything snacky, anything grabby, anything that comes in a bag, you know, your popcorn, whatever. I used to eat really healthy popcorn. I used to eat, and I, I used to think that was acceptable. And then I realized anything that you've got to barter, negotiate or grieve is just a no-no for me anyway. The second part that we learn in that doctor's opinion is the mental twist. My head tells me it's okay to eat these foods. Like it's, you know, it says in the big book, in the doctor's opinion, the quote is, we believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol in these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average tempered drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, 
their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and became astonishing difficult to solve. That was me with food. I just, I have friends who eat and I look at them. I have a friend and I remember being in her kitchen once um, back at home in Ireland and she's really busy with the kids. And I remember eating half a biscuit and I remember looking at her thinking, are you insane? By the time she, I was in relapse at the time, by the time she'd had that half a biscuit and then was chatting away, I couldn't concentrate on the food, I, what she was saying. I couldn't concentrate on anything because I was thinking I would have eaten the packet and found more and found more and then got in the car and drove and got more if there was none there. So it's just I began to realize, you be, I began to realize over the years that I wasn't the same. But until I came to Indoe, I didn't realize I was an addict. I just thought I was greedy. I just thought it was down to just pure greed. So if we keep chopping and changing our food plan, we're just like the alcoholic that it says more about alcoholism. Therefore, it is not surprising our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. And it goes on to say the delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. We have to get out, out of our head that we can have just one. In my plan of eating, I can't have just one. I tried it, oh God, did I try it. I tried the whiskey and the milk and believe me, I didn't wake up in New York, like it says in the story, but I woke up, uh, you know, and with, a, with a fogged head, you know, I tried and that's what I ended up in relapse. That's what I ended up, I had five years of heaven and away. I lost 140 pounds and I had seven, more or less seven years of relapse and it was horrific. I kept coming back, but it was horrific. I couldn't put the food down. The food has got to go down because I was basically putting myself into withdrawal constantly because I was constantly putting whiskey in the milk I was constantly trying something so I was in withdrawal all the time it takes a good two or three weeks for all the shitty food to get out of your system and it was that you know and I I've been there I've tried other ways I've tried every single diet program there is you know everything I've lost countless weight I mean I've probably lost about a stadium full of people of weight and put it all back on again and more in my relapse I put even more weight on you know, and I have to smash that delusion in my head. Oh, I could just do it. And funny, I did a big shop yesterday, my big, my weekly big shop, and I hadn't been in the supermarket in a long time. And I was in Waitrose, and I, I just was a wee bit in a funk. I was just in a bit of a bad mood, and I could hear sort of some of the food going, oh, I'd be nice. That'd be nice. Why didn't you bring me home? And I was thinking, no, I'll bring you home. You'll wreck my house. You'll wreck my head, and you'll wreck everything in my life. So it was like I just got what I normally get because I knew what was on my plan. I knew what my plan of eating is. For me, it's the most important. It's actually the most important tool because without it, everything else falls apart. It's a foundation stone of my recovery. So that's why I plan. And I don't know if you read the, the, the book, the stories in the back, a big book at the back are brilliant. And there's one called Window of Opportunity. And the guy says, if you're an apple, you can be the best apple you can be, but you'll never be an orange. And that's what we have to remember. I never be a friggin' orange and I'd love to be an orange someday. And I'd like to be an apple another day but I can't. As long as I accept and I know where I am, then I can deal with it, you know? So um, that's why I, I, tr I plan. I just can't trust my mind. I cannot trust my mind if I'm, in a, if, if I'm dodgy or feeling a bit negative. So I always encourage my sponsees with their plans to get their traffic light food, their red, amber, and green. I don't really believe in amber foods. I want to clarify that because I feel amber are just the foods you want to keep on eating and make them green, but they never quite make it to green. And like I said before, if you have to barter over a food, it's got to go. But normal people don't do that. They don't sit and go, oh, you know, I, I think I really like that a wee bit too much. And I always find if my plate has gone a bit white, in inverted commas, or bland, 
then I know it's not all right. I know there's something wrong. There's lacking something. And I always say sometimes, I have always said to my, um, I heard this recently and I thought it was brilliant. If it's not nutritious, it's emotion. Because why else would you eat it? So, um, it, but don't get me wrong. I enjoy my food and I love what I make. And I'm happy to share my food with people because I photograph it. So if you want some of my some of my food porn, I'm quite happy to share share that with you. But if you try to swear off something, I, recently I spoke to a fellow who could not give up diet drinks, and they were told by their sponsor to give them up for a month, and they said it finally dawned on them that they had a problem with them because they just didn't want to give them up. So for me, my plan is really clear. Three meals a day, no sugar, no snacks, nothing in between. The reason I have nothing in between is because I'm not an Olympic athlete. I'm not training for anything. I go out on a mild walk every day. Three meals a day is enough for me. Whatever your food plan is, that's between you, your higher power, and a nutritionist. You can talk to your sponsor about it if you want. But you know, if you're ever in doubt, speak to a doctor. And I hear a lot from new sponsees, but I don't like vegetables. I don't like this. I don't like the healthy stuff. If you've wrecked your palate with salt and sugar all your life, you ain't going to like anything. So um, I also heard something really good from a really good speaker who said once the first bite asks for the second. The second bite requires the third. This is when you pick up. And the third demands the fourth. And after that, the food screams at me and I hear nothing and I taste nothing. I taste nothing. It's going in without any taste at all. So the next one brings me to the meetings, the tools. For me, meetings bring identification. Meetings given up, it says in a way, meetings give us an opportunity to identify our common problem, confirm our common solution through the 12 steps and share the gifts we receive through the program. In addition to face-to-face -to -face meetings, OA offers telephone, online meetings and WhatsApp meetings. I'm gonna give you a big news flash now. Meetings will not get you well. I hear this all the time in the rooms. I've been to 20 meetings, I've been to this. I did my 90 and 90 at the beginning of lockdown. It was fabulous. What an opportunity to be able to do that. I like to do a meeting a day, but they will not keep you well because you, there's so much more work on top of that. I just wanted to make that clear. They, but they work, but just not on their own. They need all the tools to work together. You hear the solution and you can identify those who have the same condition. Go to meetings where you, but go to meetings where you hear recovery. Don't go to a pity party. Don't go in where it's all negative. There's no experience, strength and hope. We have to hear that because without the hope, we will just not, we will just flounder. That's your 10 minutes. For, thanks, Carol. I'll hurry, oh gosh, I'll hurry up. <laughs> so for me, I always like to hear the solution. And there's many special focus meetings and it says on page um, 13 and forward to the first edition, we have Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women. They're more than a billion men and women now who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of the of the book for them we hope these pages prove so convincing no further authentication will be necessary that's what you get in a meeting identification you hear your story you find people who are well and you think how how can i get that and it's also about telling people it's also about being honest the newcomers are the most important people in the room and actually if you are binging like me, when I was in relapse, it's good to go and tell people because you you want to know what's going wrong. The next one is a telephone. For me, it brings connection. Many members call, text, or email their sponsors and other OA members daily. Telephone or electronic contact also provides an immediate outlet for those hard to handle highs and lows of my experience. For me, the telephone and Zoom brings a pause to the disease. It's that little stopgap. When I'm wound up or funked, I reach out. When I want to eat, I reach out. It's really hard to lie, lie when you're talking to somebody live. It's just hard, especially on Zoom. 
Um, it's a great tool to get out of your head. Take newcomers' numbers, go to meetings. Once somebody says they're a newcomer, even if you're newish yourself, take their number and chat to them. We've got to get out of our own head. And the big book clearly states, here is a sick man, how can I be helpful to them? Ask them how their day is going. Don't talk about yourself. Ask them how their day is going. You ring somebody, you can ring somebody else if you want to talk about yourself, but make sure you hear how somebody else is. I also use my telephone for podcasts, actually. When I need to hear the solution, I stick on a podcast and go out walking to get out of my own head. Remember the word connection. If you aren't connected to your higher power, your disease will sound an awfully like, a lot like God. Or sorry, your, yeah, your disease will sound like God. So writing, that's another one. This is my least favorite tool, by the way. I hate writing because I've got really bad neuropathy in my hands. So it brings, <laughs> I don't like it, but it brings clarity. It says putting our thoughts and feelings down on paper help us to understand our actions and reactions in a way that is often not, not revealed to us by simply thinking or talking about them. For me, this is a 10 step inventory I do. The spot checks, my resentment forms, my fear forms that I share with my sponsor once a week. It's my least favorite tool, but it bloody works. Every time I do it, it works really well. I start writing and I realize how ridiculous, like he said this and I was really annoyed. So it's always my poor husband. Why doesn't he want to do the fence? Why do I have to pay somebody to do it? He can do the fence. You know, this, is, this was my recent resentment about our garden fence. It's ridiculous. But in the big book of page 67, we ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity and patience we would cheerfully grant, cheerfully grant our sick friend. Brings me to the literature. This is instruction. We read OA approved pamphlets and Lifeline magazine. Reading literature daily reinforces, reinforces how to live the 12 steps and traditions. For me, the AA big book is my Bible, in effect, but often I need to hear a story from compulsive readers too. I love all the literature books. I only really use for sponsorship that book and the 12 and 12, but I love hearing the story. I love hearing people, how people achieve it. And remember the big book, Bill's story teaches us, one, we are powerless over food. Two, the need for acceptance for the powerlessness. Three, the need for faith in a power greater than ourselves. Four, absence and recovery are fragile if we do not keep, keep close to our higher, contact, higher power and work with others, which leads me back to the disease sound like God, if you're not careful. So action plan, one that's very rarely used, but an action plan is part of my food plan, to be honest. An action plan is a process of identifying and implementing attainable actions that are necessary to support our individual abstinence. Just like our plan of eating, it may vary widely among members and may need to be adjusted to bring structure, balance and manageability in our lives. So action plan incorporates things in the tools. I have regular exercise on there. It's my dashboard. It's what I see when I wake up, kind of my action plan. You know, it's about my meditation. It's about my phone calls. It's about reaching out. It's kind of like I'm project manager anyway, but it's that kind of project managing my disease. So it stays away. It's all the stuff I need. And you know, a great OA buddy once said to me, we are addicts and we hate, we absolutely hate the way our lives are but we completely hate change as well. So it's about managing that. You know, an action plan helps you manage your change. It helps you become, it's the humility part. It's making you become a better person because you've a really good plan to follow. Anonymity brings trust. I'll just rush through these now because I'm aware of the time. Anonymity brings trust. Anonymity guarantees we will place principles before personalities and assures us that only we have the right to make our membership known within our community. Anonymity is really important. I got I got put in a really bad position once in the meeting. I was at a, a meet, I come from a very small town. I went to an AA meeting because there was no way. My dad used to be quite a famous footballer, and when I came in, three people tried to find out if I was his daughter, but they all kind of knew, and they were all like, "Oh!" And I remember feeling a bit compromised because it made my share slightly more. To, I couldn't talk the way I wanted to talk, and I love going into a meeting and not having feedback. 
I just want to go talk and I speak to my mentors, I speak to my sponsor if I need to adapt that. We should not cross talk, we should not give people advice. And you know, that's what anonymity is about. We can just go. I never really understood when one of very famous celebrity, I don't know if you remember, it was in the paper, she sued people, the mirror, I think, for Naomi Campbell because she was caught at an NA meeting. And she sued them. And I remember thinking the time was really strange because it wasn't a 12-step program. I understand it now because I think we don't have that right to blow people's anonymity. This is a spiritual program, you know. So I um, then talk about service. Any form of service that reaches a fellow sufferer adds to the quality of our own recovery. It says members can give service by getting to meetings, putting away chairs, putting out literature, talking to newcomers. There's so much you can do. I'm an intergroup rep. I sponsor. I leave meetings and I'm not saying look at me, isn't that great? But I have to give service, I have to give back, I have to spread the message. It's so important. And you know, you might be early on in the program, you might still be eating, just call somebody. That's all you need to do is call or just be the timer or just read something. Just do something that doesn't involve you as helping others. And then the last one is sponsorship, which is one of my favorites. It brings guidance. OA does say, Sponsorship is one of the keys to our success. Working with others is vital. There's a whole chapter in that in AA in the book. In the book, for me, I don't want to be best friends with my sponsor. I don't want a sponsee who's a best friend. I mean, I want. I my sponsor has what I want, and I asked her how she achieved it. And the same thing goes is what I'm hoping I'm passing on to my sponsees. I do all love them dearly, actually, and you do get such a bond, and you do have to have that. They've got to be right for you, but they are there to guide you. They are there to guide you. It has to be the right fit, but they're there to guide you. Listen, find somebody who has what you want. Don't be asking somebody who's still drinking or eating. It's not going to get you anywhere because if you're still getting the benefit from the food, you will never get the benefit of the program or the steps. You just won't, unfortunately. Your sponsor cannot be your higher power, unfortunately, either, because you will never, none of us in this call today will ever rise above being a human. That's as far as we're going to get. We are not going to become mystical gods. I'm afraid to break that to you. Although I often think I am when I'm trying to do the program my way. And at the bottom of the page, it says, do not delay. But he did no ranting. They told him a practical program of action. That was two months ago and the result was self-evident. It worked. Don't delay. If you're at the point now where you're thinking of getting a sponsor, don't look for the perfect sponsor. Just be willing. Put the foot down and go for it because there's no other way. And it said, my friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs, particularly was it imperative to work with others. So just powerful, the food has got to go down. My food went down 14 months ago after Riyadh and I got propelled into the fourth dimension. All the promises have come true. I have never felt such peace around food. It doesn't talk to me the way it does. It talked to me yesterday about in the supermarket, but I just ignored it like I would in something I don't want to hear. But it just doesn't talk to me anymore. And I said, uh, two wee quotes I love, I want to finish on. Remember that fear knocked at the door. Faith answered and there was nothing there. And the other thing is, don't tell God how big your problems are. Tell your problems how big your God is. And uh, at the end of page 97, and the reason I'm here today is it says helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery because we are selfish, egotistical people. That's what addicts are. And to help others is the most important. And by the grace of God, I am well today and the food doesn't talk to me. Don't get me wrong. My, my character defects come in now. I get impatient. You know, I get, I don't know, frustrated all the time, but it's okay. You know, my weight loss is, has been steady. Um, this month I got weight today lost again didn't lose like the whopping four kilos I did last month but 
I lost and I was saying to my sponsor, but it's not enough. It's not enough. I was saying to her this morning and she went, you've lost. It's great. You're working towards a physical, you know, there's a lot of stuff that frustrates me. Wow. But I just have to keep in the day. Oh, thanks, Carl. So I'll leave it there. And thank you all for letting me speak as well.